is a is a, a well-known question that many people ask. Why was the Torah given in the Midbar? And everyone has their interpretation of what lesson can be learned from the fact that the Torah was given in the Midbar. I want to share with you a pshat that the Lubavitcher Rebbe said in the 70s. I think it's very appropriate for our Siyam tonight, and I think it's very appropriate as we're winding down in yeshiva in general. Just something to think about. But I want to add a dimension to it before I get started. Not just to hear the idea and to think about what the Rebbe was trying to communicate, but put yourself, if you can, in the 1970s. What did Yiddishkeit look like in the 1970s? We'll circle back to that. What would happen if the Torah was given in a big metropolis, a big city? What would happen if the Torah was given in a vineyard? What would happen if the Torah was given in a field where they were growing stalks of wheat? So then, the Torah would have taken on a character. It would have taken on the character of whatever it was, of wherever place it was given. It would have been identified with, with the idea that if Torah was given in the city, then it's a city Torah. It's a Torah of a field. It's a, Torah of, it's a Torah of a vineyard. But when Torah was given in the Midbar, the message was that the Torah is the defining character and not that the, that the Torah has to be fitting in to the... It's not that the Torah has to fit into the society, but the society has to adapt itself to the Torah. So there's a marshal, they say it's, it's, it's not a true story, but it's a good marshal of a town that wanted to make a beautiful hachnasa sefer Torah. So, you know, to, to write a sefer Torah is, is an arduous task, and so we have to pay a sefer. And there was an asifa, they got together and they collected money. And one woman of the town, she decided, she was a, a seamstress, she decided, I want to make the mantle. You guys know what a mantle is? wanted to make the covering for the sefer Torah. So comes the day of the Achnasa Sefer Torah. And I, has anyone here ever been to Achnasa Sefer Torah? You know, you write the letters and the cipher holds your hand because he doesn't want you to mess it up. And, uh, and they finish the last ice. It's gewaltig. Finish the last letter of a Torah. Everyone's singing, Torah Sashem Temima. And now it's time for the Achnasa Sefer Torah. They didn't have the Nanach trucks back in the day. They actually had to sing. And the woman comes and she brings her mantle. And they put the mantle on the Sefer Torah, and what's the problem? She made it, and it was gorgeous, but it came up just short. She didn't make it long enough. And they're tugging at it, and they're trying to pull the fabric that it should get longer. And it's just not working. And the woman is so embarrassed, so she blurts out her idea. She says, maybe you could cut off the bottom of the Sefer Torah to fit the covering. Mm. And it's just a marshal. Nobody would ever say that. Well, we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that, but we do it all the time, right? Because we often think about, here's the Torah, and here's what the Torah demands of us. But then, like, here's me. And am I willing to adjust in my life, right? Or am I going to cut the Torah down to size so that the Torah will fit my life? And that's a fundamental question. Now, imagine when the Rebbe was saying this in the 70s. 
You know, we were living in a time, today, Klai Yisrael has come a very, very long way. Baruch Hashem, the Orthodox community has flourished in untold ways. And you guys don't even realize the amount of people and what's going on in the Orthodox community today in general. First of all, so many shapes and sizes and stripes and colors. Baruch Hashem, every community is flourishing. Every community. There's not, there's not a community in the Orthodox community that's not flourishing. And there's so many different beautiful ways of serving HaKadosh Baruch within that community. The question is, are we willing to engage the world in the way that the Torah puts as our lens and then say, okay, that's my, that's my baseline and then my life has to adapt to that or vice versa. So I come from a yeshiva called Yeshiva B'nai Torah. And it's a yeshiva that I have tremendous respect for. Of tremendous admiration for their Rosh Yeshiva. And even though I decided in my life not to join the Yeshiva, it is the Yeshiva that I grew up in. It's the Yeshiva where my family davened. And the Rosh Yeshiva was our family Rav. His name was Rabbi Chait. And a lot of people, when I, were growing, when I was growing up, they would make fun of me. And call me what's called a Chaiti. You're a Chaiti. Did you wear like one of those funny colored hats? No, I didn't wear the funny colored hat. Did you wear one of those cloth yarmulkes? If I was wearing a yarmulke, it was good, you know? <laughs> Actually, the yarmulke that I had growing up was a, a bullseye. I had a, a girl make me a bullseye yarmulke because there was a Far Side comic, How Birds See the World, and there were bullseyes on people's heads. So I thought that was a funny, I thought that was a funny comic, so I thought my, if I was going to wear a yarmulke, that'd be a good yarmulke to wear. But I used to go, I used to go hear a share from Rabbi Chait. I was very young. I was... Maybe I was even 12, 13 years old when I first started, but certainly when I was even 14, 15, 16 years old, I used to go here and give shir, and it was exceptionally intellectual, and he used to sit there smoking his pipe, and there was a group of people around him, and they would just sit there, and they were really focused. You guys were really learning. And what I admired so much about the yeshiva was, who were the guys in the yeshiva? So, of course, there were the younger guys, you know, the 19, 20, 21-year-old guys. And then there were the guys who were, like, in their late 20s, there were guys in the yeshiva that were in their 40s and 50s and they had never left. But they weren't Kylo guys. They weren't Kylo guys. Who were they? So I'll tell you their names. Their names were people like Mark Solomon. Mark Solomon is a very smart man. Really a tremendous Tamachacham, a real Lamdan. And Mark Solomon is a washing machine, dryer, refrigerator repairman. A job that one would not associate with having tremendous dignity. But Mark Solomon decided that's what he wanted to do with his life. I'll tell you why in a minute. Leslie Unger. Smart guy. Leslie Unger is a home maintenance repairman. Alex Burstein's father. The Burstein's. His father is a dry clean, a, he has a dry cleaning service. He doesn't even own a dry cleaner. He has a dry cleaner service. He's a car that picks up people's dry cleaning and brings it somewhere far out of the five towns and then brings it back. So I grew up with all these guys. Now I come from a family of two Bali Chuva. My mother and my father are both not from growing up and they both made tremendous sacrifices to raise me in an Orthodox community, which I appreciate. My father never had the opportunity to go to yeshiva. So these people were my role models in learning. Why did they have jobs that were so not dignified? And there were so many of them like that. 
The answer is because one day Rabbi Chait was giving shir and he was talking about the Rambam. And the Rambam says that a person should learn three hours a day, I'm sorry, should work three hours a day and learn nine hours a day. And Rabbi Chait was giving pshat in that Rambam. What did the Rambam mean? Was that an exact prescription? What if a person needs to work four hours a day? Then he said, no matter what, a person should have a job where they can make their own hours so that they can learn a morning seder every single day and learn be'iyan for the rest of their life. And then he said, like a podiatrist. That was all he did. He said, like a podiatrist. And half the yeshiva became podiatrists. True story. Rabbi Friedman from Rambam is a podiatrist. Rabbi Har is a podiatrist. Dr. Isserof is a podiatrist. All was because Rabbi Chait one day said, like a podiatrist. But growing up, I had so much admiration for these guys. Because these guys were the real deal. They weren't sitting and learning in Kail. But they had been learning morning seder by their Rebbe for 20 some odd years at the time. And think about it, I guess now, how long has it been? These guys have been learning by him forever. They were willing to cut their life down to size to fit their values and not the opposite. And that's what I admired. People make a mistake, I believe. I think they think that communities are a monolith. And so we use terminology, and it's terrible. We have to stop doing this. Terminology like the Haredi community, the Hasidic community, the modern Orthodox community. There is no the Hasidic Haredi or modern Orthodox community. They just don't exist. Because if you actually spend the time to study the communities, you'll find that they're so broad, and there's so many different types of people, and there's so many different streams of thinking. And we should, be, we should be more complex, in my opinion, when we talk about communities, because first of all, being Motsi Lazan Klai, but second of all, it's so not true. You know, people say horrible things, like in the modern Orthodox community, people aren't, and I'm like, wait a second, I know so many people in the modern Orthodox community that have cut their life down to size to fit the Torah and not vice versa. And that's something beautiful. And I know people in the Haredi community that have not. And it's, it's not the community, but we should be sensitive to be, and here's why I think it ties into Germany, and here's why I think it ties into the Siam. We should be sensitive to our own biases and our own egos that won't allow us to do what we know to be true because we say, I'm not cutting my life down to fit the Rabbanu Shalom's life. I'm going to cut the Rabbanu Shalom's, down, Rabbanu Shalom's life to fit down mine. And I'll tell you something, the, the most controversial share I gave this year, the, the time that I felt like I had the most negative reactions was when I gave a shear in sophisticated faith and I said, your life doesn't belong to you. We want free choice, you know. Well, it doesn't belong to you, right? Nishama is a gift that you get every single day. In Moda'ani, we affirm the consciousness that we were given this gift. It's his mission, right? We don't, we're not, we live in this autonomous state where it's my life, but it's not. It's not your life. So the question is, do you have the authenticity to say, well, here are the sacrifices that I think I need to make in order to lead the best Torah-observant life that Hashem wants me to lead. And that is different for every single person in this room. You know, Jeremy Kosky is a person who, he strives for authenticity. And he's made sacrifices this year to determine what's the best version of himself and which parts of himself he needed to advance and which parts of himself he needed to leave behind in order to become the best version of himself that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would get nachas from. 
Jeremy and I were having a conversation earlier today, and I won't share the details of the conversation, but we were talking about the value of Gemara Be'iyam. And the thing that I said to Jeremy, and I, I think it's something that's important to say to all of you, is you know, so many of us, we find our signature strengths, so to speak, in our lives. And sometimes that means we find our signature strengths in areas of the Torah. So some people will get into Mishnayis, and some people will get into Gemara, and some people will get into Chassidus, and some people will get into Rav Kook, and some people will get into Rav and some people will get into Lubavitcher Rebbe. Everybody's going to find something, because they're, 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 they're searching within themselves. That's one part. But then there's the other part, right? And the other part is, okay, well, what's, what obligation do I have, right? Not just what feels good to myself, but what's the external obligation? And when people say to me things like, I'm not a Gemara guy, well, why is that really fundamentally any different than saying I'm not a davening guy, right? It's, it, it's at, the same, at the end of the day, it's all, it's all the Eibishter's Torah, and it's our job to, to figure out what sacrifices we need to make in order to fit into that vision. And so I think it's appropriate to say about Jeremy, who's making another siyam, that he's, he's doing both. On the one hand, he found the signature strength. Rabbi, I like learning Mishnais. Kol And at the same time, challenge yourself. Okay, so but there are aspects of Torah that I, haven't, that I haven't prioritized, and I need to start prioritizing those things in my life because it's real. So I want to... Um, share with you something. I have here a WhatsApp group from the Rambam Masifta. This year is Rambam class of 1998. That's what it says at the top of this WhatsApp group. 1998 is 20 plus years ago now. That's when I graduated from high school. And here is a picture of my, one of my closest friends from high school. Some of you may know him. His name is Elliot Steinmetz. Elias Steinmetz says, coach of YU. And a picture of his son. And his son is about a head foot taller, is a foot, is a head taller than him. So he posts this picture on our group. And he writes, sigh. And then one guy wrote, what do, you, what, do you, what do you feed him? And he writes back, a lot. And he goes, it's almost like he's an actual adult, very sobering. Yeah, it's nuts, and I think I'm shrinking too. How old is he? 15, 10th grade. Somebody else posts a picture. Yudel Lazar. Son's going to go to Rambam next year. Where we went. Goes on and on. Crazy. Nuts. And he's a really good ball player. Next year at Rambam. Wow, you guys make him big. My students are tiny by comparison. He's literally sitting down with my retirement planner this week, realizing that it's a reality on the horizon. It's scary. <laughs> Then it turned into somebody's moving down south and they have an illegal gun collection. But <laughs> that's not the important part. The important part is this. I blinked. I blinked. And I graduated from high school. And I blinked again. And I have a 16-year-old daughter. I blinked. It was fast. It was so fast. She was just a little baby born yesterday. I was just a kid in Mivaseret. Just, just yesterday, I remember getting off the bus and schlepping my bags across to Alagova, where I lived. I remember, I remember, like yesterday, sitting down and listening to Rav Yedidya Shmuz on Pachim Ketanim. I remember of Isaacson sitting in the base medrash when he was just a meshiv, just yesterday. 
Just yesterday I made Aliyah. Just yesterday I made Aliyah. It's the craziest thing. I picked up my whole family from America Move. I remember walking down the stairs for the first time in so many years, coming back to Mavasar. I remember it was just yesterday when I got a phone call from Eliav Friedman and said, you should hire this guy, Rav David Lovi. He's amazing. I, you know, I knew that Eliav and Rav David were very close friends. You should hire him. Let's get Rav Lovi on board. It was, at the, it was at the roof when I got that phone call. It was just yesterday. It was just yesterday when I got a phone call from David Steinertz. My brother Daniel is available. You should hire Rav Steinertz. It was just yesterday that I went to Tzfat and I, I got Rav Glanz out of his mansion in Tzfat and said, come do important work with us in Mavessa. It was just yesterday. Do you know how fast time goes? It's flying, boys. It's flying and you don't even realize it. Remember in the beginning of the year when I said to you, the days are long but the year is short? And now we're here. Historical hypotheticals. Yeah, historical hypotheticals. And the Torah the that's being learned on our base measures literally almost burnt down Mavasara today. <laughs> How schmack is that? I knew it wasn't going to destroy the fire. The, 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 the Kedusha doesn't burn. I don't know what happened over there in that school, but... Rabbi <laughs> Sai, if you don't challenge yourself... If you don't set yourself up now for the future, you'll blink and you'll be setting up your retirement plans. I'm going to blink again. It's going to be 20 years from now. I blinked and it was 20 years. I'm going to blink again. It's going to be 20 years. The only Shaila is, how are you challenging yourself to become the best version of yourself, the one that the Abishter gets the most nachas from? What's the uncomfortable decision that you have to make in your life to be able to say, this is me, this is the best version of myself? If you lean into the discomfort of the work, and you'll choose to be that guy, I promise you you'll be happy. I promise you you'll be happy. Because I saw the people that kept taking the easier way out in their lives, chaval, they missed it. They mamish missed it. Life is what happens when you're not paying attention. So pay attention. 